for our scripture reading. Our text will be from 1 Peter, but I would also like to read from Genesis chapter 39. In Genesis chapter 39, the story of Joseph. Genesis chapter 39, hear now the word of the Lord. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an Egyptian, or an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he was a successful man. And he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And his master saw that the Lord was with him, and the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hand. So Joseph found favor in his sight and served him. And then he made him overseer of his house, and all that he had he put under his authority. So it was from the time that he had made him overseer of his house and all that he had, that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in the house and in the field. Thus he left all that he had in Joseph's hand. And he did not know what he had except for the bread which he ate. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. And it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast longing eyes on Joseph and said, Lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Look, my master does not know what is with me in the house, and he has committed all that he has to my hand. There is no one greater in this house than I, nor has he kept back anything from me but you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? So it was as she spoke to Joseph day by day, that he did not heed to her, did not heed her to lie with her or to be with her. But it happened about this time when Joseph went into the house to do his work, and none of the men of the house was inside, that she caught him by his garment, saying, Lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and ran outside. And so it was when she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and fled outside, that she called to the men of her house and spoke to them, saying, See, he has brought in to us a Hebrew to mock us. He came in to me to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice. And it happened when he heard that I lifted my voice and cried out, that he left his garment with me and fled and went outside. And so she kept his garment with her until his master came home. And then she spoke to him with words like these, saying, The Hebrew servant whom you brought to us came in to me to mock me. So it happened as I lifted my voice and cried out that he left his garment with me and fled outside. So it was when his master heard the words which his wife spoke to him, saying, Your servant did to me after this manner, that his anger was aroused. Then Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, a place where the king's prisoners were confined. And he was there in the prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy. And he gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. 
And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever they did there, it was his doing. So the keeper of the prison did not look into anything that was under Joseph's authority, because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it prosper. And turning now to 1 Peter chapter 2. First Peter chapter 2, and we'll read from verse 18 through 25. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 18. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the harsh. For this is commendable if because of conscience toward God one endures grief, suffering wrongfully. For what credit is it if, when you are beaten for your faults, you take it patiently? But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth, who, when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed." For you were like sheep going astray, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. This far the reading of God's word. And this passage in Peter will be our focus and text for this evening. And dear congregation, Joseph lived as a slave in Potiphar's house, and then also as a prisoner in Egypt for something that he did not do. But later, when he was 30 years old, the Lord also promoted him to the second ruler of the kingdom. And so Joseph really experienced both extremes in his life, from slave and prisoner to ruler. And But in both instances, he is really an example of one who serves the Lord. And here, as Peter addresses Christians in extreme circumstances, he demonstrates the high calling of a Christian, regardless of her place or position in society. And so, if the grace of God can enable a believer to serve God to the glory of God, even in in these worst circumstances of slavery and prisoner, then certainly we we are called to serve God in this country that we have so much freedom and an opportunity. And thankfully, we don't live in a culture where slavery is permitted, but the principles of obedience that that Peter is putting forth here still apply to us as we submit to those above us. But as Christians, we know that God is with us wherever we are and in whatever circumstances we find ourselves, whether good or whether bad. 
and we have to serve Him above all as our supreme authority. And so now Peter, he moves from addressing our response under the sphere of civil, civil gov- government to the workplace in our society. And so our theme for this evening is Christian submission to masters. Christian submission to masters, and our first point, our first thought is the call to be submissive. He says there in verse 18, servants, be submissive to your masters with all fear. And now this term servants here is, is, it refers to household servants, or really slaves. And the kind of slavery that was present here during the time of Peter is really unknown to us. It's, it's a foreign concept. Slavery was, was a major part of, of the culture and of the economy, with about one-fifth to one-third of the people being slaves. And so there were both educated slaves, whether they were doctors or, or teachers or accountants, and there were uneducated slaves who, who worked in the homes or on farms or in the mines. And so these slaves, they were considered a property of the owner, and they had no rights, they had no, no, no personal identity of themselves, no, no legal personhood of themselves, no rights of their own. And often they lived in the master's home, and the master would care for them, and often they were well cared for. There was really a dress code for them as well. But most of them would never taste freedom in their life. And so why is Peter addressing slaves here? We can understand that if you're a slave, you're the most vulnerable in society, most vulnerable to abuse and misuse under harsh masters. And so they they were in the most helpless a situation, and had no one to turn to if something went wrong. And so these people would be susceptible to despair or discouragement, or but also to sinning, uh, to retaliation, or to anger, or to evil speaking of their masters. And some of these slaves were also Christians. And so in the letter to Philemon, if you read that letter, Paul writes to Philemon about his slave called, named Onesimus, who had run away from him. But later Onesimus was saved under Paul's preaching, and Paul then urges Philemon to take him back and to, to deal with him charitably. But Peter, Peter says, servants, be submissive to your masters with all fear. So serve and obey your masters with respect in the fear of the Lord. And the word that Peter uses for master here is despot, which means someone that has absolute authority over you. And he says, be submissive, not only to the good and gentle, not only to the lenient and merciful ones, but also to the, to the harsh ones. Now, harsh means morally crooked, dishonest masters. And as we read these passages, we we always have to read them in light of verses 11 and 12, because it's God who calls us to obedience. It's God who calls us to abstain from sin, from fleshly lust, fleshly passions and reactions of the heart, even against harsh masters, because Christians are first and foremost servants of God, slaves of Christ. And Peter calls him to submit completely 
to their owners, and yet within the boundaries of God's Word and will. And so you can say that the same conditions, the same terms apply here, that we must obey God rather than man when dealing with masters. Because he goes on to say in verse 19 that we must not suffer for sinning, for wrongdoing, but for not, not, we must not suffer for sinning against God, but to, to live as Christ did, who had no sin. So even for these Christians who lived under these extreme conditions where they had no say, where they had no personal rights in their life, Peter calls them to obey their master, their owner, in as far as they can obey God's Word. And so how does that apply to us? Well, if their call to obey and to serve God in slavery in such adverse conditions, how much more must we serve God in every aspect of our life because of the freedom that we have to do so? The same was seen last week in verses 13 through 17. If Peter calls Christians to serve God under the rule of a supreme king, how much more must we serve and obey God in this country where the government does not have the same authority as a king and where we have a God-given freedom and rights? And so Paul will say in 1 Corinthians Corinthians 7 that if they can obtain freedom, they should do that. But whether they are free or slave, he says, we belong to the Lord and we must serve God in that capacity. So in whatever capacity we work or, or live now, we must serve God through the means that He has given and in the circumstances that He has placed us in. So, but then secondly, the motivation for such submission, the motivation, because in verse 19 he says, for this is commendable, if because of conscience towards God one endures grief, suffering wrongfully, for what credit is it when you are beaten for your faults you take it patiently, but when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. So here, Peter is really broadening his scope of his audience to to everyone, not just slaves. If anyone endures grief, suffering wrongfully, of which Joseph is an example, someone who suffered wrongfully when he did what was right. So the, the first motivation is really for conscience sake before God. Joseph said in Genesis 39, verse 9, as we read, How can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Because all sin is committed against God. If you think of David, after he repented from his sin of adultery, in Psalm 51 he said, Against thee and thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. And yet David had sinned against Bathsheba, He had sinned against her husband Uriah, and he had killed him. He had sinned against his army by making them put Uriah in a place that cost him his life to draw back when soldiers are supposed to protect one another. He sinned against his own family and against his own nation as he served them as their king and was called to lead them in the truth of God. And though even, even though David had sinned against all these people, he says he recognizes that it's primarily against God that he has sinned. And God also punished him for this sin. 
And so then Peter says, what credit is it then, what honor is it, if we are punished for our faults? And that word faults that Peter uses refers to sin against God. If we sin and are punished for it, what credit is it if we patiently endure our beating from the Master if we have sinned against God, if we've done something wrong? What praise do we deserve if we're only receiving the punishment that we justly deserve? But Peter says, if we patiently suffer unjustly when we're not guilty, then we stand before God as our judge. This is commendable before God, he says. So for conscience sake, we must not sin against God so that we can always live with a clear conscience before God in whatever circumstance we are. And the last part of verse 20 says, this is commendable before God. He said, it can also be, it said, uh, translated, it is commendable if you endure grief because you are conscious of God, because you're God aware, aware that He is with you, that He is present with you, that He knows your every heart and every thought. Even as Joseph was aware of God when he worked in Potiphar's house, when he said, how can I sin against God? And so there would have been times when these slaves who really had, who had no rights and no say of their own would have been demanded to do things that were sinful by their master. And if they refused, they would likely suffer wrongfully. They'd be beaten for disobeying their master. And when Peter says, be submissive, he's not saying do anything your master commands you, even though it's sinful. But he says, obey God rather than man. And if you suffer for that, be submissive. This is commendable before God. And as we serve masters, good or evil, it is under them and through them that we serve God. Because we're slaves of Christ, bond servants of God, as Peter says in verse 16. That means we obey God above all, recognizing that everything that happens in this life, whatever circumstance we find ourselves under, is under the sovereign control of God, whether slave or free. Joseph was unjustly sold into slavery by his own brothers. He became a household slave of Potiphar. But even there, Joseph was conscious of God and faithfully served God in that capacity. The Lord was with him, and the Lord watched over him. And so if Peter calls Christians to serve God faithfully even when they are slaves, how much more are we called to submit to God in our workplace and do what is right before God? Live so we can have a clear conscience before the Lord and do not sin to try to please the people or to try to escape punishment. Because Peter also says then, as a further motivation, he says, what credit is it? At the end of verse 20, but when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. How many times have you had it when you did something good at work and nobody notices, nobody understands? Or how many times have you restrained yourself from evil, 
and nobody realizes what it took? Or how many times have you taken a false accusation and you just saw that there was either no point in defending yourself or no reason to, but God knows? And all this seems hidden, and yet God sees it all. And you may have your own experiences of how these things have happened in your life, but that's the comfort of a believer when knowing that God knows what is right and what is wrong. And you can have a clear conscience before God because you abstain from sinning against Him and against others. And you have a God that knows the truth. And this gives you peace. Peace to continue, though the situation might be wrong. But David had no peace. David had no peace in his heart, even though he was the king, the ruler of the country. He had no peace because he had sinned against God. He took advantage of this woman when he was supposed to protect her. He used his power to kill one of his best soldiers. But he had no peace. His guilty conscience accused him, and his sin haunted him. He said, my sin is always before me. But Joseph had a clear conscience. Joseph knew that he did what was right. And Joseph could work with the joy and, and peace, even though he was a slave and even though he ended up in prison. And the Lord blessed him. His actions were commendable before the Lord. And that, that means it gives credit before the Lord. It builds your reputation as an honest person. Jesus also said in, in Luke 6, If you love those who love you, what credit is it to you? For even sinners love those who love them. But Jesus says, love your enemies and do good to those who hate you. And that requires faith, faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, in a recognition of your higher calling to follow God rather than just the things of this world, in seeking God's approval above man. Paul says in Ephesians 6 on a similar note as, as Peter, bond servants, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling and insincerity of heart, as to Christ, not with eye service as men pleasers, so not, not there just to please men no matter what it costs you, but as bondservants doing the will of God from the heart, with good will doing service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord, whether he is slave or whether he is free. So if Peter calls slaves to obey their master in the fear of God, how much more must we who are free? We'll all face some, some type of injustice in our life and some unfair treatment, and we'll all be tempted in various ways to sin or even be compelled to sin by those who are in authority over us. In our culture, we can see how the government and certain individuals are trying to impose these ideologies on our schools and on our workplaces. But here, we know we cannot go against our conscience. We cannot merely be men-pleasers trying to make everybody happy, but we must honor God and obey God above men. So in whatever workplace God places you, God says we're called to work as unto the Lord and not unto men. And if we have to suffer for doing right in those circumstances, this is commendable before God. The Lord often begins to teach us this when we're young. 
I'm sure many of you can think back of these little lessons that the Lord taught you when you were still a little boy or girl. Because these moments can stick with you for the rest of your life. I'll give you something simple as when somebody maybe didn't pay you fairly. Or when someone blamed you for something that went wrong when you had nothing to do with it. But then think back of what was your reaction. Could we trust God? Could we submit to His will? Or do we lash out in anger or sin, selfish ambition? Do we, for conscience' sake before God, make sure that we do not act in sin? God trained Joseph for 13 years in slavery and prison before he made him ruler of the kingdom. So if the Lord does all this for house slaves who have no rights, how much more does it apply to us, again, living with so much freedom and opportunity. Because really in our culture, we see the opposite problem. We see the attitude of entitlement, where the employees just come out of school and, and demand from their bosses that they need more wages and benefits, and they've never learned to work for it. They demand without ever being, having learned to submit to certain conditions, especially not adverse conditions. And in our culture, we can face many challenges, but if you think of those slaves, they could never leave if something went wrong. But we shouldn't leave at the, at the first occurrence of something uh, that goes wrong. Some people leave without even giving notice. They, they simply leave and, and don't show up to work again because something did not go as they wanted. But if we also believe what Peter says here, that it's commendable if we suffer for doing good, for defending the faith against our workplace, for obeying God rather than man in the face of the opposition in this world. Then as verse 25 says that by doing good, you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. So we need to remember how Peter also addresses the Christians here. All through this book, he's been addressing them as pilgrims, and strangers. And so he says your status here on this earth, whether it's free or slave, is really of little significance compared to your status in the kingdom of God. This life is just but temporary. And so what matters most is how you conduct yourself in that place, whether slave or free. And Luke 12 says, to whom much is given, much will be required. Maybe it's better to be a slave than to have so much freedom and not to serve the Lord. But then lastly and thirdly, uh, the, we see the example of Christ that Peter gives. Peter says in verse 21, For to this you were called, so that you should follow his steps. And verse 24 says, So that we, having died to sins might live for righteousness, to live for righteousness, to live according to the righteousness of God's, that God's Word requires, to the conformity with God's will. Christ Himself was called, He was chosen not only to be king, but first to suffer as the mediator. Christians are called, as Peter calls us here, kings and priests. We're not only called to be kings and priests, but also to go through the path of suffering. Verse 21, for to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example 
that you should follow in his steps. And Jesus said, no servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they'll persecute you. And Paul said in Philippians 1 verse 29, For to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. And so Christ left us an example. And an example is something we need to copy, to imitate. We know we can't copy the miracles that Christ did. We can't copy his suffering on the cross, his mediatorial suffering, to pay for sin. But the examples that we must copy is to face the injustice of this world without sin. In verse 22, it says, it shows us the example, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth, who when he reviled did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously. Christ suffered unjustly his whole life. But we only have a little glimpse of the suffering he endured toward the end of his life. When he was betrayed by Judas, when he was captured by the soldiers, when, when he was beaten and spit upon and falsely accused and finally crucified. But Christ never responded with sin, but committed himself to God as the judge of all the earth. And what is our reaction when these things happen to us? If we were slaves and our masters mistreated us, or what do we do when we're wronged by our employers now, or even by our siblings? What do, what do siblings do when their brother or sister does something mean to them? You can think of how Peter reacted when the band came to capture the Lord Jesus, he took out a sword and tried to take off someone's head. When the disciples were rejected by a Samaritan village, John, he asked if he could call down fire from heaven to destroy the village. And so we want to lash out in these sinful ways, but Peter says abstain from these fleshly lusts. And we see Joseph did what was right. He fled temptation. He submitted to the consequences of doing what was right. And he served God in every place. But Christ, he knew what our sins justly deserved under the justice of God. And he chose to suffer wrongfully in the place of his people. He bore our sins in his, on his body in his body on the tree, verse 24 says, because we are not naturally submissive to our masters and to God. Christ submitted himself to the justice of God who judges righteously and took the punishment for our sin. And so when Peter says be submissive even to harsh masters, we know that the unjust suffering that we might face in this world is really nothing compared to what Christ suffered and endured because of our sin. Because we justly deserve what Christ received. But now God calls us to patiently endure unjust suffering for doing good in the name of Christ, even if that were in a position of slavery. 
Christ died for His people so that we would die to sin and to be able to submit ourselves to God under all circumstances. Verse 24 continues and says, By His stripes you were healed. And so your salvation came by the wounds on Christ's back when He was whipped like a mistreated slave. Christian slaves might be beaten unjustly, but Christ suffered for our obedience so that we could be healed and forgiven by God. And when we submit to the unjust treatment, we are submitting to God's will in our life, knowing that Christ has already taken our place under this just punishment for our sin. And as he says in the last verse there, we were going astray like sheep, wandering, like runaway slaves, disobedient sheep, but now have returned as submissive and obedient servants. Onesimus ran away as a disobedient servant, but when he was saved, he came back to his master, and he submitted. We have all run away from God, but by His grace, God leads us back to submit to Him willingly, doing all things as unto the Lord as an evidence of our faith in Christ and of our faith in what Christ has done for us. And so as we go into this next week, in whatever we face, whether it be in our homes or in our workplace, do all things as unto the Lord, knowing that He sees what you do, whether good or bad, and that if you suffer wrongfully for His sake, it is commendable in his sight. Amen.